Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. D. Roar, if you had to pick the opening lines of a spiritual memoir by one of your favorite living poets to kick off this whole Q&A interview deal, what would they be from Helping Set You Up in Kirksville? Thank you, Helping Set. My answer is, my God, my bright abyss, into which all my longing will not go. Once more, I come to the edge of all I know, and believing nothing, believe in this. Colon. Our next question is, remember that one time at CCF when you were young in marriage and early on staff, and when preaching the death of Dorcas from Acts 9 at a Wednesday night service, you persuaded your wife Tabitha to collapse out of her seat in the middle of your sermon, and when you rushed up to check on her, you declared, apparently a little too believably, that she was dead, but you didn't really take into consideration that people would take that pretty seriously, and several folks rushed out of Violet Hall 1000 before you could subsequently raise Tabitha, Dorcas, from the dead, a la Peter in Acts. And those folks called DPS, and so then you had to explain to the DPS officer in the middle of your sermon that, no, sorry about that, but never mind, she's not dead, no one's hurt at all, everyone is fine, you're just a young preacher whose tolerance for lying in a sermon discourse and shock points is surprisingly high. That's from Ghost of CCF Past. Oh, wow. Yes, ghosts, I do remember that. Let's see, those were questions number 10 and number 36. Uh, Since I got almost 7,000 questions from you guys, I'm only going to be able to answer a few of them, and I want to make sure that I select them fairly. So the matrix that I settled upon is uh, I have a column of successive prime numbers, 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, and then I have another column of my family's names, uh, Ellie, Jude, Max IV, Tabitha, Dior, Grace III. And then I take the gematrial values of the letters from those names, and I multiply them by the successive primes. And so in that first instance, first prime, two, first first E and LE, five, multiply them together, 10, question 10. Uh, Next one, next prime is three, the first L and LE, that's 12 gematrically, so three times 12, question 36. And here we go, on to prime five, times that second L in LE, another 12, five times 12, Question number 60. Let's see, number 60. Ooh, what's your favorite book of the Bible from a Baptist kid? Uh, Revelation. Hands down, no question. Always has been, always will be. Question number 35. I'd be willing to bet a thousand push-ups you're wearing a KC t-shirt right now. This is from KC and KV. Well, first, that's weird. Are you looking through the window? Stop looking through the window. And second, you need to get your eyes checked and you better get started on those push-ups. I am wearing a soft black t-shirt with a cream tan future United States of America on it. The one from whatever time it is when they're predicting that giant meteor is going to hit and put a perfect circle hole right in the middle of the country. So get to it, KC. That's a thousand push-ups. If anyone knows the identity of this KC and KV, you might uh, tip me off and we can make sure she or he pays up. Moving on to question number 110. In your earlier response when you said, quote, my kids' names, end quote, shouldn't, have been, shouldn't that have been, quote, my kids' names, end quote? Are you just confused about how to pronounce plural possessives, or you do, do you not even understand how to write them in the first place? Ouch. From A. Very Morrison. 
Well, thank you, Avery Morrison. I am glad you asked. My dream job is like a Bible answer man, but for grammar, or really any rules, interpretations, clarifications, decrees. So I guess a lawyer. Uh, but until that career change, I'll settle for giving the people the garner they want and need. So here's our first Gotta Get a Garner segment, brought to you by Brian A. Garner, Genius. Let's just flip to page 712 here, where we see possessives, section A, singular possessives. To form a singular possessive, add apostrophe S to most singular nouns, even those ending in S, SS, or X. For instance, Congress becomes Congress's move, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S apostrophe S. Oh, singular ending in S adds apostrophe S, got it. That's not our case here because kids, my kids' names, uh, is plural. So let's jump down to section B, plural possessives. For most plural possessives, use the ordinary plural form, kids, and add an apostrophe to the final S. For instance, Smith's becomes Smith's S apostrophe. Jones's becomes J-O-N-E-S-E-S apostrophe. Kids becomes K-I-D-S apostrophe. Huh. Well, Avery Morrison, uh, there you have it from Gotta Get a Garner. Apparently, my kids' names um, was correctly submitted by our earlier questioner. Uh, but thank you very much for question number 110. Now, moving on to prime number 13, the U and Jude. Gematrial is 21. Multiply that. Question number 273. Hi there. Do you collect a bunch of books just to try to show off like you're super smart and you actually read them? I've seen that giant white bookshelf in your living room. You probably haven't actually read any of those books, have you? You're just trying to impress people. This is from Wisely Anonymous. Well, thank you, Wise Anon. I'm standing here at my shelf right now, and if we take a look, let's just do some science. On the top three rows of five cubbies each, uh, here's what I'm tallying. Books I have read absolutely none of, 20. Books I have read completely, 64. Books I have read partially, 82. Hey, Wisenon, uh, come to my office sometime when it's open again, and we'll do the same counting exercise there. It'll be fun. And actually, uh, why don't we grab one of the nuns from my shelf, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, which I have been uh, multiply shamed by recently. Uh, what do you say we crack it open and read a line? Page 140, middle paragraph. Quote, my point in any case is that I must put special corrective emphasis on the possibility of doing the thing I dread doing, which is telling your mother what I think I ought to tell her. End quote. Thank you, Marilyn Robinson from Gilead. Hey, guess what, Wisenon? That bumps the partials up to 83 and drops the nuns down to 19. So, party on. Question number 68. What's your favorite book of the Bible, a Baptist kid? Oh, that's easy. Isaiah. Some of you say Isaiah. Hands down, no question. Always has been, always will be. Question number 95. Prime 19 times 5 for E. Question 95. Let's see. Ooh. I want to get married, but I'm nervous. Could you give me some impromptu but recorded premarital counseling from Hesitant at Halley? Wow. Thank you, Hesitant at Halley. Marriage, previous to the cause, was awful. Awful. There's a cycle, like life. Birth, excitement, growth, decay, death, 
Now, now, how about this? Here comes a large dragon. Teeth, blood dripping, red eyes. What, what do I got? A lasso. And I whip it up. I wrap it around its neck and I wrestle, wrestle, wrestle him to the ground. I snap up. I say, sit, dragon. Dragon sits. I say, stay. Dragon stays. Now it's got a leash on. Take it for a walk. And that's what, where we're at with it now. It stays on command. Next, we're going to teach it to roll over and play dead. On to question 299. I think I cracked your kids's... Ooh, S apostrophe S. I'll go ahead and correct you right there, Cassie in the Sky with Diamonds. You think you cracked my kids, K-I-D-S apostrophe. Names, ooh, N-A-M-E-S apostrophe code. You think you cracked my kids' names code. Huh. Eleanor Rigby, Hey Jude, Maxwell Silverhammer. They're all named after Beatles songs, right? From Cassie in the Sky with Diamonds. Wow. Thank you, Cassie in the Sky. I don't know if you cracked or invented the code. Prophecy and fulfillment and timing have always been a little fuzzy for me. But from now on, that is absolutely correct. Question number 29. What's your favorite book of the Bible from another Baptist kid? Uh, Gospel of John. Hands down, no question. Always has been, always will be. Question number 744. Wow, let me flip through there. Prime 31 times the X and max. Dimitri Lee 24. Yep, 744. This is from... Ooh. My goal is to read 183 books this summer. And not pull a D-roar, by the way. I want to finish them all. Can you give me a list? From Hank. Sheesh, Hank. Uh, pretty ambitious. 183 and oddly specific. I'd like to help out, but I'm going to have to slice, slice that down to uh, just the top three. So here you go. Grab a pencil. Holy the Firm by Annie Dillard. Walking to Martha's Vineyard by Franz Wright. Lost in the Cosmos, Walker Percy. Question number 148. Uh, not a question, actually, just a statement. Tell us a joke from Since We Are Here Now, You Might As Well Entertain Us. Uh, thanks, since we now, you might us. Uh, sure thing. But uh, stop me if you've heard this one before. What do you get when you cross an amnesiac, an unwilling agnostic, and a dyslexic? Hmm? You get someone who stays up all night torturing himself or herself mentally over the question of whether or not there's a dog. Ask me later, I'll tell you the one about a moth. And jumping into Tabitha, Prime 41, the T is 20, question 820. Ooh, scrolling down, scrolling down. Ooh, I have a Bible question. Aside from what's your favorite book of the Bible? Are other Bible questions allowed on here? I see you've been doing a whole lot of other stuff, numbers, jokes, student slams, etc. But I'm hoping it's okay to ask a Bible question, because here's mine. In the Passion narrative in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is being questioned by Pilate, he remains silent in the face of Pilate and his accusers. What's the deal with that? Has Jesus no respect for rightful authority? Doesn't he realize that would be super annoying? My question is, theologically speaking, why did he do this? This is from Scriptural Head Scratcher. Question number 43. In the earlier question about the time you, quote, persuaded your wife Tabitha to collapse out of her seat, end quote, 
Why did the questioner insist on using persuade there rather than convince? Is he or she really so fastidious as to insist on this snooty usage that's now a little stilted to modern ears, as is easily evinced by a quick check in Garner? Gotta get a Garner, brought to you by Brian A. Garner Genius. Where he notes that in the best traditional usage, of course, one persuades another to do something, while one convinces them of something. But that the language change index for convince in place of persuade to do something is now at five out of five. That is, it is fully accepted. So what's the deal? This is from not technically a snoot, just curious. Well, just a curious technical non-snoot, you've played out a, laid out a pretty convincing case. I'd say you've persuaded me to agree with you that the ghost of CCF past sure does seem stuck in his or her outdated ways. Question number 94, prime 47 times the B in Tabitha, that's two gematrially, 94, yep. Ah, but speaking of Tabitha, I've heard you say on multiple occasions that even after two decades of marriage, your wife is still a mystery to you. I'm a little worried. Do you even know her at all? Let's take a little pop quiz. This is from, I'm giving you a 50-50 shot here. Well, thanks, 50-50. Oh, it looks like they're all true-false questions. I will uh, do my best. True or false? When she was little, Tabitha wanted to go to KU and be a doctor. Uh, that's true. True or false? Tabitha went to KU and is a doctor. Uh, that is false. She went to LU and is a nurse practitioner. True or false? English is Tabitha's first language. Uh, False-ish. American Sign Language. True or false? She blames the fact that her name, Tabitha Sarah, doesn't flow on her parents' deafness. Uh, that is true. True or false? There used to be a face on a billboard north on 63 that looked a little like Tab. Mm, I'm going to go false. It looked exactly like Tab. True or false? She named her son Jude after her grandpa, Donald Wayne Rohr. Uh, that would be false there, 50-50. It's my grandpa, Donald Wayne Rohr. True or false? Tabitha has been described as the most patient, gracious person on the planet. Uh, true. That was her nephew Damien here for Thanksgiving two years ago. True or false? Tabitha has been in the same accountability group for seven years now. Mm, false. It's even better. Amanda Treshinger came in August 2009, so that makes 11.5 years now for the same accountability group for Tab and her ladies. True or false? Tabitha has been regularly visited by a divine messenger who bestows supernatural grace upon her in order for her to be married to you for 19.6 years. I'm going to go true. Question number 477. Who's your favorite CCFer of all time? This is from Crossing My Fingers, It's Me? I see you, Gern Blandstone. Yes, of course, it's you. Uncross your fingers, you silly head. Gern Blandstone, you are an absolute legend. Uh, you strike again. You still hold the record for the 100% sign-up rate in the binders. Didn't matter what there was to sign up for. You were there. Spring break, Walmart trips, men's retreat, women's retreat, blank sheets, etching your name into the clipboard. Uh, Gern Blandstone, not even a contest. Since then, I would say the only student to even come close would be Joshua Tyler. is uh, an econ guy from maybe 10 years ago, but I don't think any of you probably know him. Moving on to question number 1,180. Wow, how'd we get there? Prime 59 times the second T in Tabitha 20. Yep, 1180. Who's your least favorite? Ooh, this is from fingers strenuously uncrossed, parentheses, this is not Jcos. Oh, 
thank you, Fingerstren Uncross Cause. Uh, that's easy. Least favorite ever, J Cos. Question number 488. Remember that one time at CCF when you really got me good? Oh, wow. It's a joint, uh, it's like a whole petition of questioners here. We have it signed by Kyle Esch, Tyler Jackson, Stephen Ground, Caleb Choate, Joel May, Spencer Thomas, Demetrius Levant, Matt Hyman, Arcade Boys, Joe Jaber, Josiah Belzer, Luke Gleaves, Chris Slayton. Uh, too many more for me to continue reading. Uh, let me just say, petitioners, I sure do remember every single time. Now, question 67. As someone symbolic of the campus ministry movement among young people, some have questioned, given your latest statements and antics, whether or not you still care about people as you once did. From a thin man. Hmm. Yeah, but, you know, we all have our own definitions of all those words. Care, people. I didn't come out of a cereal box. There's no one out there who's going to be converted by a sermon. Question 284. What's the best thing you've ever done at CCF? From surely there's something, right? Ah, thank you, surely something, right? Go to YouTube, search Clinton, Tree, Freshman, D-Roar, Wrecking the Grill. Hmm, similar vein, question 1314. What's your biggest regret at CCF? From hoping it's huge. Well, it's not huge. It's whatever's bigger than that. For an improvised scene in the CCF office video we shot back in the day, I, the boss, was laying into Kyle Esch, the intern, and capped off my freezing baptismal water transport tirade with, quote, now give me a hand intern. I'm still embarrassed by it. So passive. I don't even deserve to be the boss. Once a month, I beg Reed to reshoot the scene so I can dictatorially snarl, now put your hand on the tub intern. May the Lord have mercy on my soul. Question number 1,185. Good golly, we're up to prime 79. The O in D-Roar, that's 15. Yep, multiply 1185. Give me a number check on that, Spencer Black. Uh, this is, what's your favorite book of the Bible? From Another Baptist Kid Again. Uh, that's easy. And Bap Kid Again. It's Genesis. Hands down, no question. Always has been, always will be. Question number 664. What's the best prank that's ever been pulled against you from maybe in the market for ideas? Whew. Well, the very best prank is the one that the prankster is content to sit on and not have to broadcast. So it can't be the time the two students stole my car for three days and I just walked everywhere and didn't say anything about it. And they finally broke and called me and said, hey, uh, are you missing your car? Pathetic. And it would have been pretty good otherwise because they cleaned a bunch of crap out of the CCF garage back when it was full of crap and we never went in there at all. And they actually squeezed my car in there. And so it can't be the time when Reed and my little brother pulled up to my house at midnight and pretended like my brother's monster truck was broken down. So I'd come out and look at it with them and they would airsoft ambush me around the neighborhood in my underwear. And it's not when the arcade boys egged my van or egged my back playing wall ball in the church basement or ghost peppered my chili or ghost peppered my cookies. And it's not when my best friend and his wife kicked in our back door while Tab and I and our sisters were watching a movie in our tiny East Orchard church house living room. And Jude still makes fun of me all the time for my response, which was to slowly get up and say, hello, can I help you? Through the dark back doorway. And it's not when the staff 
on my birthday, zip-tied my hands and duct-taped a sad clown hood over my head and forced me into the back of a van, screaming and jabbing at me with airsoft rifles and metal poles and getting me so carsick I thought I'd vomit inside the hood and drown in it, and then taking me out in the field in a country while I was still blindfolded, and they fired a real gun pretending to shoot my wife Tabitha, and I feared my five-month-old son Max. Those are all pretty good pranks, but not anonymous. And prolonged anonymity is anonymity... Thank you, Garner, is the key to a master prank. So the best one ever pulled against me is the entire winter in my high street house when Tab and I were early married and there was a steady supply of dead flies in our living room windowsill. No living flies anywhere. It's winter. But every few days, there are two to five fresh dead flies in the windowsill. I throw them out, never see a living fly. And three days later, boom, five more dead flies. Who is doing this? What twisted genius has a soul dark enough to derive enough pleasure from the intrinsic beauty of the thing and s sufficient satisfaction in simply supposing my torture that they remain anonymous? I'm haunted still. Question number 1,602. Doesn't the Bible say boys shouldn't have their ears pierced? So why do you have your ears pierced? It looks like they might have even been gauges at one point. I mean, I know it's super cool, and of course you need to be relevant with the youths, but aren't you opting to be wise in the eyes of the world rather than in God's sight? Why are you compromising your beliefs and sinning in this way? From Prospective Purity Proponent. Dear Prospective Purity Proponent, PPP, I hear you, and I used to assume similarly. As I progressed in my discipleship of Jesus, however, I realized, quote, he was pierced for our transgressions. And if I am to take up my cross and follow in his footsteps, can I do any less? Should you? Question number 679. But the Bible clearly says it's sinful to have tattoos, right? From J.W.'s mother. Uh, thank you, J.W. Muth. Yes, that's correct. Question number 1,118. That's prime number 101 times the final R in D-Roar, gematrially 18. 1,118. Yep, checks out. Remember that one time in CCF when students beat staff in cornhole? JK and KV. Oh, that's hilarious, JK and KV. No, of course I don't remember that. It's a trick question. It's never happened. Ever. In 842 career matchups, including 67 games in a row all night in an IMO men's retreat, when Christian Bernardo and Danny Ibrahim unbecame Christians from the utter despair, we still have yet to lose a single game of cornhole to you sad, pathetic students, whom we love. Question number 103. What's your favorite book of the Bible from not just another Baptist kid? First uh, Corinthians, hands down, no question, always has been, always will be. Question number 321. Whew, this is a long one. Can you help me out with some assassin rules confusion I'm having? I happened to witness earlier today Hunter Gillen get word that his target Reed Dent was in the Pickler Starbucks grabbing a staff meeting snack, and then Hunter sort of hid around a corner, sillily thinking that he might get a clean shot at Reed, even though Reed was clearly surrounded by an entourage of fellow staff members who not only knew that Hunter knew of Reed's whereabouts and were actively protecting him, but who would have given their very lives if needed to help keep, keep Reed safe. So anyway, I see Hunter kind of lazily pop around a corner way too early and be spotted and announced by Keeve, 
So the staff instantly form a protective cocoon around Reed, and D-Roar puts his hands up and is jumping to block Hunter's line of sight, and therefore have shot, and Hunter, probably realizing he's toast, just lowers his shoulder like a fullback, and initiating contact, in clear defiance of the stated rules, charges into D-Roar, who continues to move only laterally or even backward, with his hands up, in no way initiating any contact, but only absorbing Hunter's aforementioned illegally initiated charging contact, until such time as Nathan T. Komar, staff blood brother and fellow assassin, sneaks around the side and stuns Hunter. Reed, of course, is safe. Komar is safe. Hunter is stunned and sad and confused. So, but my question is, why is Hunter confused? Doesn't he understand what initiate means? I mean, I don't want to assume the worst, but do you think it's possible he's managed to get in and finish a whole year of Truman without even being able to read? Do you have any insider demographic info on illiteracy at Truman? I just don't know how else to explain it. From a concerned eyewitness and anonymous assassin, parentheses, decidedly not Isaiah Minner. Wow. Thank you, Con I, Anon Assass. This does sound like a very confusing situation for you. I do wish I had some insight, but I'm afraid I'm not aware of how widespread the problem of illiteracy on campus is. I will certainly try to look in, look more into this possibly troubling trend. Question number 545. Good gracious. We are at Prime 109. The E in Grace, Ellie's middle name, Gematrially. Five, so 545. Um, D-Roar, um, perhaps you could tell us how many people who labor in the same theological vineyards in which you toil, how many would you say are gospel preachers today? That is, people who preach the good news of the kingdom of God into a world of sin and darkness. From an accounting reporter. Uh, how, how many? Yeah, I think, I think there's about 136. Our penultimate question, number 1017, what's your favorite book of the Bible? From, fine, it's me, son. It's your mother. Oh, hey there, Mom. Uh, favorite book of the Bible, Job. Hands down, no question. Always has been, always will be. And for our final query, we are looking at Prime 127, the I in the third, in Derek James Roy the third, Geometrically, that's 9 times 127, uh, 1,143. Question, 1143, to cap it off. If you had to pick the closing lines of a spiritual memoir by one of your favorite living poets to wrap up this whole Q&A interview deal, what would they be? From Hoping to Land the Plane in Kville. Ah, thanks, Hoping to Land. My God, my bright abyss, into which all my longing will not go. Once more, I come to the edge of all I know, and believing nothing, believe in this, period.